Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a spoiler special podcast on Eat, Pray, Love, Ryan Murphy's adaptation of the monster Elizabeth Gilbert bestseller. Here with me in the New York studios are Lindsay Robertson. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Dana. Who is, what's your bio? You're a freelance writer. You write for Jezebel. You write for New York Magazine. Yeah, lots of different places. Anything else you want to um, send people to? Uh, not offhand. Okay. <laughs> I Twitter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You have a great Twitter feed, which people should follow, as does my other guest, Lizzie Skernick. Hi, Lizzie. Hi. I, I didn't even think of mentioning my Twitter. I have a great Twitter <laughs> yeah, feed. Yeah, that's, that's now a resume item for writers. It's very funny. But, okay, so, so Lizzie, you are? I am also a freelance writer and critic, and I write a lot for Politics Daily and The Daily Beast. And since ladyism is often your beat, you guys, both of you, were the perfect people to have come in to talk about Eat, Pray, Love. Um, it was really fun seeing it with you last night and not talking about it afterwards because we decided we would save all our fire for the spoiler special. So I know very little about your reactions to the movie. Although I will say there was a moment that I noticed that there were sniffles on either side of me. And I was sitting in the middle completely unmoved. But okay, we'll get to that. You were told not to mention it. <laughs> I just want to point out, I'm the one who kept us from talking about it. You guys would have spoiled the spoiler special. <laughs> That's true. You laid down the law. So now I, you've got to bring all your energy to the table here. So what did you guys think overall? And also, I want to hear briefly um, whether or not you've read the book and how you think it stacks up to the book. Um, well, I've read the book. Um, I read it originally, and I reread it for this the day before, and I brought it to the movie so that I could fact check it during the movie. I mean, it's interesting. I felt like this was definitely one of those movies where you need the book as a companion. I mean, I have no idea what people would think of this movie had they not read the book because I think it's sort of an attenuated version of the book. And I know what people usually say about the book is, I love the Italian part and then I couldn't read any more of it once they went to India and Bali. It made no sense to me. And I actually think in the movie that comes out more like by the time she comes to Bali, you really are like, why is she in Bali talking to this old man? I don't understand. But yeah. Um, I started the book when it was when it first came out, but um, it annoyed me too much. How far did you make it through? Um, I'm not sure. Not too far. Probably about 30 pages or so. Um, and then I just put it down because it was just it was just really uh, just annoying me just even having it in my house. So um, <laughs> I think I gave it to someone. Um, and, you know, just it's sort of being culturally everywhere. I had to be contrarian and not, you know, read it. But Well, it was pressed on me by a friend. I mean, a friend literally, I refused to read it. And a friend, as I was leaving Baltimore on my way to New Jersey on a train, said, here's this book. I got it for you. Go read it. So, Well, here's what I will say about the book. I expected to have the experience Lindsay did because I do find the narrator, Elizabeth Gilbert, incredibly irritating. But she has a skill. She has a kind of diabolical skill, actually. And I also had it pressed on me by someone, started reading it, thought, this is way too self-helpy. This is not my kind of thing. And the next thing I knew, I was done with it. I mean, oh, yeah. it's unlike, for example, the Stieg Larsson books, oh. the woman can actually write. Right. She can She can turn a phrase. She What the book is trying to do, to me, is somewhat reprehensible, but I think she does it very, very well. And what the book is trying to do, we should say, for those who don't know this phenomenon, is chronicle this year-long journey that this woman takes because of a book contract, which is completely glossed over in both the book and the movie, right? It's she, not even mentioned. It's it's not... It, the, I think it's mentioned in both places, but very, very briefly. And as if it's sort of um, an extra, you know, that it's not the reason that she's taking the journey, but sort of like an extra nice thing that happened right. or something. <laughs> right? I mean, the whole raison d'etre of this journey is that she gets a book contract in which there's no shame in that. I don't right. quite understand why it has to be glossed over in order for her 
voyage to have any meaning. But it seems like in both the book and the movie that does happen. Well, you know, but my thing about Elizabeth Gilbert, which is also what my review is about, but since it's written, I can talk about it, is just that she she glosses over everything. You know, my big reaction to Committed was that it's supposedly about her deciding to be married. This is her new book. Her this is her book. new book. And there's literally nothing about the marriage. I mean, I think there's five pages spent on the actual marriage. And it's the same thing with this book. There's there's quite a lot of sort of daily exposition and quite a lot of, you know, I was thinking this meditation in my head. But all of the actual stuff, she's always like, well, I can't talk about the divorce. You know, I can't really talk about why David and I broke up. I can't talk about why I broke up with my husband. You know, I can't talk about why I took this book tour. So it's sort of like, so you actually can't talk about any of the mechanics of why any of this is happening. Which in the movie, at least, I mean, in the book, because she's a good storyteller and Mm -hmm. she just spins a good anecdote, Mm -hmm. you can sort of let some of that stuff go. But I agree with you, Lizzie, that the movie would seem really, really unmotivated if you hadn't read the book. You essentially just have to take it on faith that she hits rock bottom because she tells everyone that she's hitting rock bottom, (laughs) right? But the characters are sketched so hastily at the beginning that you don't quite understand why, although her marriage to Billy Crudup has fallen apart, and then she jumps into this relationship with James Franco, which also falls apart for reasons we don't understand. Then she gets the book contract in a very hasty scene with her editor, friend, publisher, played by Viola Davis. Right. And the next thing we know, she's going on this three-part journey, right? It's supposed to be four months in India. I mean, sorry, four months in Italy, Rome. Four months in India at this ashram, and then four months in Bali. Right. And, and as you say, Lizzie, we're not quite sure, except for the fact that you know she wants to eat, pray, and love. Exactly <laughs> why she's embarking on this this journey. But there, there she is. Well, I found it interesting how the movie. Because there's that absence, because we don't actually know the narrative impetus, the movie frames it all as romance. You know, it's all sort of like the first anecdote is the romantic anecdote. It's like how even Cambodian boat people being eaten by sharks really just care about whether a guy is going to call them. You know, and then it's sort of like my marriage didn't work out. My boyfriend didn't work out. So I have to go find myself and find romance, you know. And then at the end, I go off with this man. Which is less true of the book, even though all those same events happen in the book. Exactly. It doesn't feel like it's a book about boy boy trouble. Right. The movie does. Right. And then there's, you know, every other second, there's that thing of like, Liz, you need a man. Liz, you need a man. Which is not, I mean, it's in the book, but it's not in the book as sort of a trope that, you know, Liz is then going to get a man. Well, I want to hear what you guys think of the ending. I mean, first, I want to talk through some of the earlier stuff. But since we can spoil here, it's a spoiler <laughs> special. I want to hear what you think of how the, the movie equivocates with that, you know, are we allowed to have a happy man-related ending or not, right? I mean, is it going to somehow undermine her voyage of self-discovery if she actually has a happy ending with a man? Well, I knew the story, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, I, mean, I think everybody sort of, you know, eat, pray, love. I mean, I... <laughs> It was very funny that at the end I was like, oh, and then they lived happily ever after and never well, thought about anything Well, it literally, spoiler again. alert, was a, was a voyage <laughs> to the sunset. The last shot of the yeah. movie is them on a boat, her and Javier Bardem, who plays the Brazilian that she falls in love with in Bali. And it's just like she's taking done, off into the sunset right. with, I think, Bossa Nova playing in the background. And she's like done with her emotional growth and her journey. And yeah, it's check. Just, it's all emotional growth. Check. Totally. Yeah. Everything will just figure itself out from now on. Which literally in the book, she says, can I open and do the quote from the book? Because yeah, yeah. she act- I have it turned down the page. Okay, she says in the book, um, yet what keeps me from dissolving right now, and this is at that moment, into a complete fairy tale shimmer is this solid truth, a truth which has veritably built my bones over the last few years, M dash. I was not rescued by a prince. I was the administrator of my own rescue. 
So she in is the, that the last sentence of the book? No, it's, <laughs> that would be a really lackluster last <laughs> administrator. Know, weird. <laughs> Pray, love, administrate. That sentence is kind of weird. No, the last sentence is "Let's cross over," which is the same. Right, yeah. that's the last line of the yeah. movie too. Yeah. Right. I mean, we still haven't had just an emotional, visceral reaction to the movie. I mean, I have to say, I am not a hater of the book. As I say, I, I find it fun to read, although I sort of resent its manipulative power over mm-hmm. me. Um, but I am not a fan of this movie. I really didn't think it worked. I mean, even having read the book and coming with a tiny amount of goodwill to it, I couldn't get into it. And I, I really think it would be just dull and kind of conflict-free if you hadn't <laughs> ever read the story. What I the stakes of, are so low. The stakes are totally low, but what I sort of liked about the movie exists on this nonsensical meta level, which is just that I felt like Julia Roberts took this book so seriously and felt so strongly that this was like a real love project on her part, and she was so into it, and I feel like there was some of the best acting of her career. Um, she she is really good. She's like, perfectly she, cast in this role. She's, she's really good. Like, when she cries in the bathroom and she does panicked crying, I yeah. was like, oh my god, I'm kind of panicked now. I was like, we haven't seen that since Shelby in the beauty shop in Steel Magnolias. We totally. have not seen that Julia. It was it was amazing. It, it was, was like, ama- oh, is she going for an Oscar here? Totally. She was totally going for the Oscar, and I would have given it to her because she moved me more in the bathroom crying, weeping scene and in the wedding scene, which we have to talk about later. <laughs> then, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert in the book really plays that scene for laughs. The, ba- the bathroom scene, like at one point... Which we should say the bathroom scene is sort of the rock bottom at the, the beginning. It's the, the moment bottom. she starts praying to God out of the blue, although she's been a totally secular person her whole life. Totally. And she says she does that. She says, I started praying like to God, you know, and she also calls her tears on the floor. She says, if you will, a veritable lake inferior, like she does all this sort of stupid. She likes that word veritable. I know she did, which is tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth is also, you know, there's like weird sort of sublimated tropes of like veritable truth, you know, which sort of tie into the theory of how she doesn't tell us the important truths. Well, she's a very calculating truth teller. But, I mean, we keep getting off into the book. I want to I hear, like, what the yeah. movie does, does with all of this. Okay, so since we were talking about boy trouble, let's let's ask the man question. This was the thing I wanted to ask you guys coming out, and Lizzie refused to let me ask it. So can you guys walk me through the man roster of this movie? Because I completely don't get the valence of the different men. There's, there's Billy Crudup, who's the husband she breaks up with. There's James Franco, the boyfriend that she then leaves before the trip. And... <clears throat> Then her only real romantic intrigue on the trip, although every man who meets her seems completely besotted by her, is the Javier Bardem Brazilian guy. Yes. So to me, all and of these Australian. men. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there's a um, dancing Australian. There's a, a dancing naked Australian yeah. that she can, could hook up with, but she decides to be chased in that scene. So I don't get why why she discards or takes on any of these men because they're all such to me portrayed as such generic romance fantasy novel heroes that they would all seem perfectly fine. They all... Well, her husband... It, it are seems handsome. Like, They're all charming. They all are crazy about her. It seems like type. she leaves him because he wants to go back to graduate school. And like they later they um, kind of explain that away as like, oh, he just always has ideas and doesn't follow up on them. And it's like... Well, everybody does that. That's not reason to leave the guy. Um, it was extremely vague. I almost wonder if there might not be legal troubles oh, with I, the publisher and the husband or something where she wasn't allowed to sketch any specific reason because... There's totally legal trouble. She was totally not allowed to write about him in the book. And his book was canc- His book was just canceled because... So so the, that divorce thing, I mean, there is actually a real reason why she doesn't write that much about the divorce. But she also doesn't say sorry, I can't write about the divorce because of legal things, which mm-hmm. would be better. But I thought, um, I don't know, I hated the husband. Like, the husband to me seemed very clearly to be 
someone you know he was being supported by her and he clearly was just sort of like Mr. Fritter away projects you know yeah. and then actor dude and I have to say just that I because I know the real actor dude in real life so I'm a little bit prejudiced because I know the real David but that actor dude seems to um, he wants distance that's the problem and in the book we get more about how needy she is but there's that part where he turns over and says why don't you let me miss you so I think we're meant to understand that she was being needy 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 on him yeah and then Javier, I don't know. He's bringing her hangover drinks. You know, he <laughs> says he loves her. There's no conflict on his end. So I think it's kind of like, why not? There is an interesting moment with Javier toward the end where you think for a moment that the movie's going to end on this note of her actually saying, I choose me, like Ali fire. Remember, because no. he wants her to get on this boat with him. And there's this moment. It was the, one of the few moments in the entire movie that I actually identified with, like, I have had that emotion. In general, all the emotions, including the moments that you guys were sniffly, seem really <laughs> synthetic to me. And I'm an easy mark for crying in movies, too. Let me just note. But she and Javier Bardem have just been having this like two week long idol that's like kind of too intense and smothering right. and she's trying to get away from him but she loves him too and then there's this moment that he says get on this boat with me out of the blue like no preparation no time to pack right. the suitcase and I completely identified like wait and she said I hadn't been home for five days I mean, right. who hasn't had that moment like I haven't been home for five days right just right. imagine like you're washing out your one pair of underwear and Javier Bardem sink and like all your stuff is back at your apartment of course you don't want to get on the boat it feels completely rushed and smothering yeah. and she refuses to get on and I thought that that was a moment that the movie was actually going to say you know, back off, guys. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be on my own here. But in fact, she does end up sailing into the sunset on that very boat with him like a day later. Well, what does he say to her? He says something that's not in the book. I love how everything about this for me is like, what's in the book? What's not? In the book? But he says like, okay, run from me. But if you run now, you won't change or something. Like, what does he say to get her to turn around? Does anyone remember? It was, it was something where it was – because that seemed like actually a genuine line because I was a little bit like, how is he going to get her to stay? Because I did identify with that also where it would, be, it would kind of freak me out. Like, what do you mean get on a boat? <laughs> well, go. this I think is a flaw in, in the scripting of the movie. It's not the performances. It's, it's, it's actually just the fact that we don't have enough density. There's not enough texture in that relationship for us to know – that there could be two contradictory feelings. Right. Well, right? We know I mean, they all had the men are just these, two these guys on steeds. <laughs> right. I mean, Constantly. Just, right. Yeah. And so. she gets cystitis because of it, which was another classic Oh, that was touch. funny. Yeah. But, yeah, all the guys are such kind of gentlemen that I don't, I don't sense any, anything real happening between them. Well, I think maybe that's also – that's part of where when they made the movie from the book, they were just – you know, they were a little hamstrung because it's sort of like, you know, how much can you sketch a – you know, conflict that's not really written up in the book. You know, we, we really don't know what's going on in the relationship. So I feel I feel like that was just sort of, you know, actually that the movie makers were trying to distill any one fact that they could find, you know, like this guy's distant, this guy can't hold a job, this guy's ready for love. And like mm-hmm. just sort of go with that. And even his son, his his adult <laughs> totally son is like son. Dad, you're ready. It's been ten years or you yeah, know yeah, which is gross. Um, He existed just to say that, basically. (laughs) To be like, dad, have sex. Um, Another thing was uh, sort of, this is sort of supposed to be this sort of anti-sex in the city type movie. And um, but they still had to get in like the consumerism aspect. Um, There's a part in the movie where she sees a slip in a store window, like an expensive uh, lingerie. And she doesn't have anybody to wear it for or whatever. And then the next day you see her, she's wearing the slip. And it's like, oh, she bought it, but she bought it for her, not for a guy. And it's like that's supposed to be sort of a 
victory when it's like she's supposed to be on this spiritual journey and she she's also already complained about being you know running out of money and stuff like that and it's just like don't buy things this isn't that movie like they have to throw that in so i don't know i mean maybe that's supposed to show that you know later on she becomes less into like i don't think we see the slip again <laughs> but um well i do think the whole time there is this sort of thing where she refuses to resolve the question of desire versus deprivation you know it's like the same as what happens at the ashram where she's all like i want to be the silent girl you yeah. know and she's like okay i should try i should try to be the silent girl i and love that i am in silence I am pins. In silence they pins. should sell those as a tie-in with the movie I think <laughs> they are selling you know on the home shopping network there's a bunch of tie-in products yeah <laughs> Like the only awesome thing one. I would get would be the I am I am in silence I would pin. Totally I get just that. want to wear that in New York, you know. Like <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> but then, then after she is in silence, then they're like, "You have to be the Susie Cream Cheese. You have to be the tour director." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, great! So this is what God really wanted was for me to be myself." And with everything, it's like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why the character is irritating, you know, either in the book or the movie because it's sort of like, I wanted to do this, but then. God said that. So it's it's all great. Like, it's very, like, evangelical. Well, it's like basically. the universe exists to ratify the behavior of Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> exactly. Seriously. I did like when they make her, made her do chores, though. The scrubbing of the floor. That was, yeah. um... What did you like guys good. think of the Richard Jenkins character? We should explain. Lizzie, you're the you're the you're the plot detailer here because you you just reread the book. Um, the Richard Jenkins character is um, what's his actual name? He's some, some Richard Richard from, from, Texas. from Texas. Oh yeah. right, and he really is Richard, which she which she makes clear in the book. And you know, in the movie, Richard uh, we find out later has almost killed his son and is an alcoholic. And uh, he's a guy at the ashram. He's the say. guy at the ashram trying to forgive himself for the fact that he's almost lost his family. Now, that whole story that Richard Jenkins tells is not in the book, it is right? Not Richard in the Jenkins book at goes all. on this extended, <laughs> so weepy weird. story about his son. And I know that oh. Lindsay didn't like this. I didn't like it at all either. It's okay. a fake out story. It's a total fake out. He tells this story, and like there's the soaring music, and we know we're supposed to cry, and he's like, I came home drunk one night and I didn't see my eight-year-old son who was right there. And she's like, you see Julia, like, sort of from the back, but you could see her digesting it. And it's like, oh, my God, he killed his son. And, like, there's this long pause. And he's like, he got out of the way, but his mother <laughs> saw what happened and left me. And he, so the son is fine. Like, we just were about to, like, cry over that. And he's totally fine. It was ridiculous. And no one would tell the story in, in that way, right? They'd say, like, no, no, he didn't die or anything. Right. They'd say that right away. <laughs> they would start with it. Yeah. Totally. I had a near miss. But I wanted to know what you guys thought of, of the Richard Jenkins, Julia Roberts relationship in the ashram, both in the book and in the movie, but particularly, again, in the movie because it's less well-written. That that relationship just rang completely untrue to me. And I think both of them were great in their parts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea of her hooking up with this kind of, you know, straight-talking Texan in the ashram is, is kind of Who calls her fine. groceries. But groceries. yeah, like that nickname just yeah. really, <sighs> really grates on me. Yeah. I do not for a minute believe that that was her actual me nickname. Me neither, yeah. Oh, and not to mention the fact that he's in, in practically the first sentence he says to her, he gives her this affectionate nickname, Groceries, because she puts away so much food at it's the like ashram. It's like they're in prison together, it's like a prison movie. It's like, <laughs> it is you know, like they, that. Like, she's preacher man or college girl or something. I just felt like that was one of the moments that Elizabeth Gilbert was the most guilty of sort of sprinkling fairy dust on herself, you right. know, in their relationship with Richard. And it, it really bothered me. Like, there me were so many too. other people there, and it's like he zeroes in on her and gives her a nickname because she's special. 
Well, that's also probably, though, he is the most like the character she wrote about in her past, you know, in, in her past life as an actual real writer, you know, in Stern Men and Pilgrims. I mean, he's mm-hmm. that sort of quirky oh, I don't know person. her earlier writing. She liked, she liked she, to investigate down and out it, it, stories. It, it's sort of quirky, weird people. Like The Last Man in America is about this man that lives completely off the land, you know. And it's, it's a really great, interesting book. And it's like her sort of what I call her actual writing career is like totally not ever a fact. But I think I think that's why Richard was there because it's like honestly with this book, the part in the ashram is really boring. I mean what can you write about an ashram? You know, you write about your internal – like you write a few funny things about your internal meditation. And but even more God. boring, what can you film about an ashram? Because exactly. you don't even have language to expound what's going on in her inner revelations or whatever. It's literally just Julia Roberts sitting there in a peasant shirt, cross-legged. <laughs> well, that's why they had to add in – that wedding, the Indian wedding of the girl, which does not exist in the book, and also the wedding scene on the roof. I mean, all of that stuff about this also being about love in that ashram is, and the call from What's-His-Face, the call from James Franco, none of that is in the book at all. And I really think they had to use it to make it part of this larger love story. Mm-hmm. You wanted to talk about the uh, the Billy Crudup <laughs> flashback, which was the scene that you guys were sniffling in. <laughs> you keep betraying us, Dana. <laughs> I'm no totally... shame in it. I wish that scene it moved me, but I want to know why it moved you. Well, you know, I, it moved me because at the, I guess, I don't know, I was identifying, even though I'm totally unmarried, but it seemed, first of all, so sad that at their actual wedding, instead of using their real song, um, we are we see this in a flashback, Billy Crudup does sort of a joke and plays celebration instead and sort of dances around her, you know, performs around her, which is supposed to be funny, but you can also think if you were the bride... That would be so horrible, actually, to have, you know, it sort of bespeaks this distance in your relationship that your groom has made your first dance a joke, you know, even though it's called celebration. And well, but you just explicated that so much more smartly and movingly than the movie did. The movie I, didn't let us know at all how she felt about the, the celebration switch. I, I was just crying because I cry whenever there's a breakup or somebody remembering yeah, long know, lost love. Like, that always gets me. Um, and Harvest. I mean, Harvest Moon. Come on. That oh, song. Right, yeah. the, Neil, the real wedding song comes on their first dance and it's yes. Neil Young's Harvest Moon. Yeah. And, and it was that for me, too. It's like you bring up an old ghost and, you know, put them in a different place and make them dance. And, and, that, <laughs> and that was very moving because you do sort of feel like there's been a lot about forgiveness in that scene. You know, the forgiveness for almost killing your eight-year-old kid and then the forgiveness for the husband. And I thought the idea of doing it, I'm like almost going to cry now. How sad is that? I thought the idea of doing it through this like wedding dance at dusk, you know, to Neil Young was actually kind of nice because it's, it's, it's actually a genuinely quirky, weird thing to do. Unlike, you know, all the dopey spiritual stuff like the touching of the runaway elephant. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the very end of the India part, right? Yeah. Just, an elephant just comes wandering onto the grounds. And <laughs> you don't like, even know if it's special. in a fantasy or not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even the, even the elephant is singling her out. See, the universe <laughs> loves Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> well, it does, though. <laughs> but speaking, okay, of forgiveness, this is the yeah. last thing I wanted to close on, is do you guys think that the, the book... Well, okay, the book has this massive following, right? It yeah. was, I think, an Oprah book, and it was a like, huge international bestseller. Do you think that the book's many fans will forgive this movie for its obvious shortcomings? I mean, it clearly is... Let's just stipulate that we like the book and respect the book, which I'm not sure I do, right? But it's an inferior version of the book. So, are, But are people going to love it nonetheless because it just reminds them of the book they loved and it's got Julia Roberts in it? 
Well, I think the book itself is already sort of a simulacrum of what it's supposed to be. So I think the movie is just part of the franchise. Like I think, you know, I, I think they would buy anything. They would go on the Elizabeth Gilbert tour. They would yeah. wear the Elizabeth Gilbert devotional. Also, like we're in, you know, with the economy <laughs> the way it is, this is the only way that a lot of people, myself included, can try. Can travel. can travel, which is and another like, reason the Rome was part like, was the best. It's like yeah. I want to go to Rome. Yeah, more than Rome is awesome. I didn't. <laughs> we never got to see India really. We just yeah. had the inside of the ashram. But yeah, I mean, it was like watching Planet Earth or something. It was like it was transporting, and it, I was like, oh, look at the pretty scenery, you know, and look at Julia Roberts. I love her. Haven't she seen her in pretty. a while. You know, I mean, it. It. I don't know. I like the movie better than I thought I would because I thought I would really hate it. <laughs> but um, I like them as a matched set. As a cultural critic, as a person, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you there. I'm really glad to have seen both because I want to be able to have conversations like this about them. Well, thank you guys for seeing the movie with me and for coming in to talk about it. Thank Thanks you. so much. <laughs> Our producer is Krishnan Vasudevan. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.